All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, today, Kara. Um, I really appreciate this. I was wondering if just to start, you could just introduce yourself a little bit for people um, and let them know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So my name is Kira. I'm a full-time retail worker and a college dropout, but am continuing to study the American prison in particular and the ways that uh, gender and sexuality are intrinsic racial formation in the United States and how that plays into the genealogy of prisons um, in this country. Um, I'm a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and I organize a black and pink letter writing group in my town in Northampton, Massachusetts, where we meet and write letters to incarcerated folks. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, that's actually the reason, uh, you know, you reached out to us and told us about what you're doing. um, And we thought this would be a great opportunity uh, to talk about pen palling and um, to talk about the work that you that you're doing, exchanging, corresponding people on the inside through black and pink. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the pen palling program and sort of walk us through uh, what it was like getting it start getting it started in Northampton? Yeah. Um, so I started thinking about getting involved with black and pink through just text that I was actually reading. Um, I read the anthology Captive Genders, edited, I think, by Eric Stanley and a couple others. And I started thinking a lot about the experiences of people, and especially LGBTQ people, in prison. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. I reached a point where I felt that I needed to, to be connecting or doing something. And I didn't know what. And that was around the time I, I found out about the Black and Pink letter writing program. And what Black and Pink is, is basically a network of, they, they refer to themselves as a family of LGBTQ prisoners and allies on the outside who build relationships with each other and support each other. Um, they're based out of Dorchester, but they have chapters around the country. And they have a huge database online, actually, of people who are just waiting for pen pals, waiting for someone to talk to. Um, Many of them are in solitary confinement. A lot of them are, like, trans people who are categorized in a prison that doesn't match their gender. Um, A lot of them are kind of, like, an extra layer of isolated. A lot of them don't have family support. And you can just scroll through the database and it's like thousands and thousands of people waiting for a pen pal. Um, And I I reached out to this person, Michael, almost at random um, because there are so many people just to look through. But Michael in his bio said that he wanted to talk about prison abolition um, and he was interested in building a political relationship. And I thought that sounded interesting. So I started writing to him a couple of years ago. In um, he's in Angie, Louisiana, and we started building a relationship from there, just through written letters. Um, and and 
What was it like at first? Can you tell us about, you know, how that all unfolded? Um, I know some people out there might be curious, like, how do you start writing letters with somebody you've never spoken to? Um, You know, how did that start? Yeah, it was a little awkward to write the initial letter, introducing myself to this person who I didn't know that much about. Um, But I, I just sent something kind of short, introducing myself, and I got a letter back that was so um, enthusiastic. And this is a recurring experience that I hear from a lot of people. They reach out to someone who's seeking a pen pal and they get a letter back. And the gist of it is, you know, something along the lines of, oh my God, I can't believe someone actually wrote to me. I thought everyone had forgotten about me. Mm-hmm. And that was um, that was sort of what Michael expressed um and he was like right from the beginning very very open and very honest and he wrote these like prolific like 12 page letters on like legal pads of paper like longer than regular paper um and and he was just like very very open and very excited to be building a friendship that sort of developed into a more explicitly political relationship over time um yeah and so i I also like had a few friends who were involved in doing that or i knew people who wanted to be writing to folks in prison and didn't know how to start um and so that was how we sort of started like a sort of loose group of people like where we just meet every week and at least you're committing an hour of your week to responding to the letter or writing a letter Mm -hmm. um, and maintaining the relationship um, so how, and how has it gone since? Like, um, you know, you said it was a little awkward at first and he was really open in response. Can you talk about just sort of, um, how, uh, you know, I guess what you've gotten out of it, what you've, uh, you know, what the challenges of it are. Um, if you could just sort of talk a little bit about the experience of doing, cause you said you've been doing it for a couple of years now, uh, right. You've been writing with Michael, um, so, uh, I, you know, I'd be interested to hear, um, you know, what it's been like for you and also like what, you know, what's been difficult about it or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Michael and I have been writing back and forth for a couple of years with some lapses in between. Um depending on what was going on in our own lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's interesting the way that our relationship has developed because pretty much right away he was writing to me. I was asking him, like, what what's going on with you? What is your life like? How are you feeling? What do you need? Like, can I be supportive for you? And pretty immediately, he started telling me about, like, the, the, the abuse that he was dealing with in prison. Um, and he started talking to me about the stuff that was really urgent and pressing for him, um, which for him was the legal work he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I knew that I needed to like respond to that um but also you feel kind of helpless at the same time 
Sure. Like, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I, I don't really have, like, that much power. Um, right. You know, I, like, called the prison several times to, like, try to, um, you know, express that, like, hey, there's someone here, like, thinking about this person. Like, I know what you're doing to this person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm trying to, like, hold you accountable for that. But you don't have that much influence as a sort of individual um, person. At least that's how it feels. And that is something that's been difficult about our relationship. Um, however, it's also like I don't think that that has stopped us mm-hmm. um, from from organizing together and from trying to to build something together. And so, I I do like really want to take this chance to kind of amplify what Michael is experiencing and what he has asked me to kind of amplify and get out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I go a little bit into the the kind of background of like his story? No, we'd uh, like to hear that um, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, why don't you tell us um, what's been going on? Sorry, Brian, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say the same thing. Please. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, so pretty much right away, like I, I started offering whatever help I could to Michael, and you know he was like, "Are you sure? You, can you really?" help me with this stuff. And I was like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can. So like we've studied legal materials together. Um, I've like tried to type stuff up and help him out with his um, grievance procedures. Um, and it's kind of culminated in us trying to organize a, a campaign against his treatment in prison, a letter writing campaign. So Michael's um, self-described experience and he's, sort of produce this in documents that he wants me to publicize and and share with as many people as possible. Um, his experience is basically that he was incarcerated at Rayburn Correctional Center in Angie, Louisiana in 2014. Um, and I believe it was a few months into his incarceration. Um, he found out that his mother was terminally ill and he wasn't going to be able to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like already being a person dealing with mental health struggles, he requested basically um, he requested to see like a mental health specialist to see if he could get some kind of medication or therapy or something to help him cope with this experience that was turning out to be really traumatic um, and he wasn't given access to that type of health care and so when his mother did pass away he experienced a mental health crisis basically um, and was punished for it so the prison you know in place of offering appropriate health care um, or appropriate medication or support the response is, is punitive. Um, Can you tell us what they did? Yeah. So a couple of things happened. One is sort of an official punishment and another is sort of a retaliatory abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Michael's punishment is that he lost three years of good time. For, and it was, for what? For asking for, for basic- help? 
for basically asking for help and being denied help for months and then experiencing a mental health crisis. Like he had some kind of like a breakdown, an emotional episode. Um, and, you know, as a result of like this medical neglect that was ongoing. Um, and consequently lost three years of good time. Um, so that's three years on top of a 10 year sentence. Mm. Um, and the good time that was taken from him punitively was not good time that he had earned already. So basically, so sort of he's, taking away. he's in he's in a deficit, basically, regarding good time. So he hadn't earned the three years yet. But they're basically saying that, you know, <laughs> any any good time that he would accumulate in theory is basically null and void up until, you know, for three years of that space, if that makes sense. Is that, am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it's actually unconstitutional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he has cited the exact court case in Louisiana. Um, and, and this, I'm sorry to interrupt it, but I'm, I'm like, because I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because I, I'm, mm-hmm. it, it's just so frustrating. Um, so this was, in the official complaint, this is what the prison said that, you know, he lost three years of good time and that, you know, this is not even accumulated good time because I'm just, I, I, wow. Like that's just yeah. breathtaking if that's what they did. Yeah. Which like has really, I mean, on my own, that's really had me thinking about like what time is in prison and how mm-hmm. it's this like totally contested like political struggle over just time. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a sense, like I mean, they can't they can't take this time. It's it's totally unconstitutional. There is a a, a court decision in 2005 stating this, but it's still you know he he's not represented by a lawyer. It's like incredibly difficult to represent yourself as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, or as a jailhouse lawyer, rather. Um, so that was his official punishment. Um, but he also experienced um, another level of retaliation, basically, um, just by from abusive guards. And so I'm going to content warn this for just mention of, of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael has written about this and, like, wants this to be publicized. He's made that very clear. Um, Actually, I'm going to quote him directly from the pamphlet that he wrote and is having me distribute. Go ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. So Michael writes, the denial of medication set off a series of events that caused me to be disciplined for my mental illness. While going through a mental health crisis, I was strapped to the steel bunk inside my cell. While strapped to the bunk, I was verbally and sexually harassed by Rayburn correctional officers One officer disrespected me by acting as if he was checking the straps on the bunk, but actually placed his genitals in my face while another officer watched and laughed. I've since filed suit on both incidents. Um, So essentially, um, he was sexually assaulted, like sort of in the in the aftermath of this, um, Mm -hmm. of like a of a like devastating mental health crisis and like traumatic experience. and so these are, this is sort of the, the, the two things that Michael, um, this is in 2014, since then that he has been filing lawsuits about, submitting grievances about, um, and like really to no avail so far. 
Um, but well, he I mean, filing a grievance um, in in a system where the people you have to appeal to are basically the ones who are, you know, citing you for a grievance in the first place is part of the, you know, just ridiculousness of this entire system. I mean, it's not like there's someone outside of the prison that's overseeing it that he can appeal to. Exactly, exactly. And so they have the the power of legitimacy. They are the legitimate, mm-hmm. you know, administrative yeah. body in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, that exactly. That's who he's trying to appeal to. And Rayburn is interesting in particular um, because it's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Can you about, tell me a I think. Bit about Rayburn? Yeah, so everything I know about Rayburn is from talking to Michael and from calling them and trying to talk to them myself, mm-hmm. um, which hasn't gotten me very far. Um, so it's a small prison in Angie, Louisiana. It has about um, 1,200 incarcerated inmates, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and a relatively small, um, like, population of, of guards and administrators compared to some other prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I've looked at it kind of in comparison to Angola, which is also in Louisiana and is gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I told Michael, like, I was like, yeah, I was researching Angola prison, and I found out that it used to be a plantation and that it transitioned directly into from plantation to prison. Mm-hmm. Um and like I was kind of writing to him about this and told him, you know, I, I tried to research Rayburn um, and I couldn't find anything like there's documentaries and there's interviews and like Angola has had all of these kind of like, like Lead Belly was in Angola prison. Um, you know, you know the name of it, you mm-hmm. know, and and he was he was upset to, to hear that when, when I Googled Rayburn. Nothing really came up except for like the official um, Department of Corrections website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing I really know about Rayburn is that, um, and I learned this from Michael, is that it's named after BB60 Rayburn, um, who was a Louisiana politician and who, he was a senator actually, who apparently was um, affiliated with the KKK. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other yeah. thing, I guess, that I know about the prison is that um, the administration, in addition to being very small, I think because it's a small town, because it's like a small community, they're often sort of in, like, there's a lot of, like, married couples, for instance, between the administration and the guards mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the different, like, healthcare, like, um, different, like, departments, like, yeah. There's such a almost family-like bond in mm-hmm. this particular situation that is sort of like inextricable, um, you know, from like it's 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 totally um, impossible <laughs> to get any kind of like a fair treatment. Well, I mean, yeah, um, it's um, it, what you're describing is basically the 
a similar situation that happens across this country where, you know, many prisons were built in rural communities, you know, um, based on this promise that, you know, it would provide employment to these small towns, to these communities. So um, no surprise that pretty much everyone who works at these facilities is related, you know, right. in one way or another. Um, so there are not very many degrees of separation between, let's say, a warden and a CO, or between, you know, a nurse and a CO. And this is something that, you know, we've seen happening um, since, you know, since the dawn of time, I guess, since the dawn, at least of, you know, the this modern prison uh system that that we're talking about. So um, I'm glad you brought that up and that you you highlighted that. Um, Brian, do you have any questions? Yeah, you know, I'd like to talk a a little bit more about, um, you know, the kind of organizing you're doing and the experience you've had uh, trying to do it in support of someone on the inside. Um, I know that you've done some letter writing and you've worked uh, to draft a pamphlet and, and some things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the work that went into that, the kind of response that you've gotten to it, um, and just and just what you're dealing with there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it took me a long time to sort of piece together Michael's entire narrative of the past four years because so much has happened um, and and so much continues to be happening. Like even in my re- most recent letter from him, I've received another update because the more grievances he files and the more difficult he makes life for the administration of this prison, the more retaliation he experiences. Mm-hmm. And so he is often placed on extended lockdown um, because it it lets them have an, a, a higher level of control over him. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll put him on suicide watch um, because it allows them to go through his legal work and get rid of some of his stuff or just shake down his cell. And they also try to turn other... Um, incarcerated people in the prison against him Mm -hmm. um so for instance if they shake down someone's cell and they find some kind of contraband they'll say yeah we found this because michael snitched on you Mm -hmm. um and and so that's made it like really difficult um difficult I think for him to overcome like this certain level of isolation um and and so I think that that's one reason that having a pen pal relationship has been really important to him we've become so close it's like kind of um astounding and wonderful like I I it's it's like (laughs) I'm gonna get emotional talking about it um the closer we got and the more I was able to share with him and the more he was sharing with me, you know, we just started working on it together. He requested that I send him a copy of the, the jailhouse lawyer's handbook, mm-hmm. which is like a super helpful resource um, for anyone who's incarcerated, who's trying to do their own legal work. 
and anyone on the outside who's trying to support them in that. Um, because like I said, I'm not a lawyer and Michael's not a lawyer. And basically, I, I printed a copy of this resource. I believe it's made by the National Lawyers Guild. And it goes over like in every section, like here's how you deal with this like procedure, this legal procedure if you're incarcerated. Here's how you do this one. Here's how you format it. Here's what it looks like. Here are examples. So I sent him a copy and I read my own copy. Um, and that was kind of our first step. And and stuff escalated for him after that. I started saying, you know, why don't you send me your handwritten, like, um, you know, documents that you're writing and let me type them up for you, you know, so that they come across as more official. Let me be doing that work. And, and we tried to do that. But his mistreatment in prison started escalating, like, very, very quickly. And basically, like, I need you to be um, calling the prison. I need you to be contacting Louisiana senators. Um, I need you to help find me a lawyer. And and so I tried to do that. And so I ended up kind of creating this narrative of like what had happened to Michael over the course of these several years. And eventually, like we just had this this document. And I said to him, "Okay, listen, um, you know." Herman Bell was assaulted in a prison in Comstock, New York, this fall. Um, He's a Mm -hmm. incarcerated Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was an immediate letter writing campaign in response to that, which I participated in and which a lot of my friends who now kind of meet with this Black and Pink group participated in. And and it, it was actually very successful, at least in getting the immediate needs for Mr. Bell met um, and, you know, he kind of issued a response, you know, expressing that this letter writing campaign had, had helped him, you know, and, and also had sort of increased his morale as he was receiving this outpouring of support from communities across the country. Um, and so I suggested like to Michael, why don't we start a letter writing campaign? Why don't we try and sort of amplify what's going on with you because I I don't have the resources to affect that much change by myself. Um, and so he has handwritten this pamphlet that, that goes over his experiences um, and also connects it to like the, the broader um, function of incarceration Um he he talks about how this is not an isolated problem at Rayburn and it's not an individual problem of his. You know, he has his own individual case, but this is like a much larger um, mm-hmm. symptom of like the, the treatment that people experience under this, um, you know, racialized and gendered regime of captivity and torture. Um, and he like hand wrote it and had me edit it, and we produced it together. Um, and he wrote a letter with a list of demands to be mailed to um, the Attorney General, Jeff Landry of Louisiana, and to Warden Robert Tanner of Rayburn Correctional Center. And I typed them up and showed him, and he gave me a stamp of approval, and we've been just like reaching out to whoever um, 
whoever's willing to like sign these letters and mail them and follow up. So I've like hosted events here in Northampton and this black and pink group has been a really good way to do that. Um, and we've reached out to other folks around the country who are interested. So it's, it's very small. It's like, it's really just me and Mike. Um, and we're we're kind of struggling in some ways to like, you know, I've done all this cold calling and some people are receptive and some people are like, oh, my God, we are already stretched so far beyond our capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because realistically, every single person who's incarcerated needs someone working full time <laughs> to try to help them, um, mm-hmm. you know, and but in my community, there has been a, a turnout. Um, and the black yeah, and group. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to say I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, you brought up the the Herman Bell example, and I, I mean, you know, he's obviously a little bit more of a has a little bit more of a profile um, as somebody mm-hmm. who's like a little bit more well known. I was just curious, you know, what has that been like trying to you know build energy behind it? You know, you mentioned you're reaching out to people all the time. I'm just curious for people who are you know. Are, are wondering about that aspect of it. How has that been? And, and what have you done to sort of get the word out? Um, if you could go into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, you know, because just because I have, yeah, I mean, even calling, um, even calling legal firms or people who do legal advocacy for prisoners in particular, like even they are stretched too thin, it seems like, to mm. devote that much energy to this person. And it's like, you know, he's been like, like, <laughs> like so many things have have happened to this person that should never have been allowed to happen ever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And like sexual violence is just like permeates like it is intrinsic to the prison it is a strip search of sexual violence mm-hmm. um you know and so for me i'm like oh my god like i'm i'm hearing about this this awful experience that this person that i love um is having like what do you mean you can't give him legal representation mm-hmm. um but to the people who are doing that work a lot of the time it's like you know well maybe if you could get a class action lawsuit together, then we'd be able to devote our, you know, it's like how egregious does it have to get <laughs> before, mm-hmm. you know, but, but people are spread really thin. So it's been hard. Um, and even well, getting, you know, can people I, can, to I like, can I jump in? Um, Cause oh, yeah, uh, okay. you said, you know, uh, the, these law firms and whatnot are, are spread really thin. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on that point. And it's, I, I know we didn't oh, sure. want for, for me to disagree, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm frustrated and I sense your frustration as well um, because I've gone through this process with both of my sons um, and it's not so much to spread thin, but if you can't pay them, mm-hmm. you don't care. They don't, they simply don't care. And they're not going to give anyone the time of day who doesn't have the money. And that's one of the most frustrating parts about, 
you know, advocating for someone on the inside is if you have limited financial resources um, and there's no, you know, you don't have a high profile and there's no big push or movement behind you, you're on your own. And that's, to me, that's what I'm hearing you. Like you sound like, you sound like you're struggling. You sound like you're frustrated. Um, you, you're putting it very nicely and I appreciate that, but I'm also <laughs> like, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of like mm-hmm. the, the response that, you know, that people get when they call or they reach out for help because yeah. what you Describing is that there is no help available. And that oftentimes a lot of what you're doing is, you know, you're you're doing a lot of unpaid labor yourself, right? Because you become mm-hmm. their, you know, you become their paralegal, their transcriber, you become their best friend, their mom, their sister, you know, their um counselor, um, their researcher, and you know, all of these mm-hmm. things. And that as you said yourself, is a job um, in and of itself, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not like you're in it, you know, and and that's the sense that I'm getting. But I, I just heard you say that a couple of times, and I was just like, yeah, I I wonder how you know um, stretch thin these um, you know law firms would be if you walked in with a ten thousand dollar check. I'm sure they yeah, you know, I'm sure they would pencil you in and that he would be moved, you know, to the top of the list all of the sudden instead of just being yeah. dismissed, you know, and kind of told to, you know, go figure it out and scramble, you know, on your own. Um anyway, I just I, I just had that, you know, like sitting there and it was just it it was bugging me. So I'm I'm sorry, Kara, to you know, um no. <laughs> no you're you're absolutely right thank you so much for for saying that and for pointing that out um like that's really really true um to clarify i think like the the couple of people that i'm like specifically referring to um are people who like would be doing it pro bono mm-hmm. um and like are already like have taken on a lot of cases. Um, but, but also like that's, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And of course, when you have a, a predatory policing and incarceration system, which is designed to capture and confine the poorest and most disenfranchised people, um, you know, it's like a, it's, it's a warehouse for, for working class people, particularly those who are black and brown and otherwise criminalized. So of course no one has the money, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's targeting, you know, it's, it's like poor people are already the targets. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is like, unbelievably frustrating. Mm -hmm. And there are just not enough, you know, pro bono um, lawyers out there or lawyers willing to do this work pro bono. There's not enough to, for the, you know, existing demand or need, right? So it's not like um, if you, you know, have run your course with the 
um, public defender and, you know, they are no, you know, you've gotten to a point in your case where they're, you're no longer entitled to a public defender, then you're basically on your own. And I don't think that people really know that. Right. So it's like, you know, I think a lot of people really in their minds um, or they assume somehow that, you know, everybody has a lawyer or, oh, just get a lawyer. Um, It's not like you can just, you know, (laughs) walk outside and pick a lawyer and it's like, that's it. Um, (laughs) It would be nice. It would be nice if that was the case, but it's not. And um, it's just ugh, it's absolutely frustrating um to say the least um i had a a question but i think i lost track of my question with my little rant there um <laughs> i'm so so appreciating the everything you say. <laughs> yeah uh kim and and you both uh you know raise the issue of the amount of work that goes into this and you know how sort of alone you are in doing this and how frustrating it is. And I'm wondering, you know, um, you know, what, what is it like to, to sort of, uh, you know, have to make boundaries, um, you know, for your own, uh, you know, sort of health, I guess, um, you know, that you, you have somebody here who, and it sounds like, you know, you've built a really strong relationship with them. Um, and there's a lot of need here. And I'm just curious, like, if you wanted to talk at all about like how you navigate um, you know, not just spending every waking moment of your life, uh, you know, focused on this because obviously, you know, you, you, I, you know, I assume you also have to go to work and put food on the table for yourself and so on and so forth. So, um, mm-hmm. just curious if you sort of had any thoughts, uh, on that part of it. Mm-hmm. Are you asking Kiara yeah. or me? <laughs> I'm asking everybody. <laughs> Everyone. It's something it's something everybody involved in this work, you know, in some way or another deals with. Go ahead, and I, Kira, I'll, I'll let I'll let you answer for <laughs> I want to hear what you think about it too though. Um I mean it's gotta be even more complicated. I mean it's like it's your two sons, both, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like when it's like kin too and family and yeah, I I yeah, I would I would like to hear what you have to say about that too. Um for me um one of the things I tell people when they come to the letter writing group and they say they're interested in getting a pen pal is that I tell them one of the things they should try to say in that initial letter is what their capacity is probably going to be mm-hmm. um as a as a pen pal because it's really different and i and i discourage people from doing it if they don't feel like they have the capacity to spend like at least a good chunk of their time every week responding um to stuff that might be really heavy and i think that's also one aspect of having this group element is that it's not just supposed to be a place where we're meeting every week and writing and like holding ourselves accountable to that commitment, um, you know, and just making sure that we're carving out that time in our lives. But it's also a space where we chat about like, hey, what's going on with Mike? Like, what's going on with your your pen pal this week? Like, you know, how are you? Um, 
and and I think it gives us a bit of a space to decompress or to like crowdsource for suggestions um, and just kind of because it can be really heavy it can be really really mm-hmm. heavy um, right. and I think like you know there needs to be like networks of support for people who are doing this kind of work um, in any capacity and <laughs> it's actually it's been really easy to set boundaries with Michael um, frankly because he um, I think it's something he's just naturally very good at. Um, he, like, there was a period of time when I was moving and, like, relocating and all this stuff was happening, and I didn't write to him for, like, almost four months, I think. Um, like, three or four months, um, totally unintentionally. And I finally, like, reached back out and wrote this long apology. And because, you know, it just has to be like an extra layer of isolating. It's one thing if you're like not in prison and your friend falls out of touch for a couple right. months. It's a different thing when you're in prison and likely in in um, administrative segregation and it's your only communication with anyone. Um, and he he was like, hey, listen, like, the fact that you got back to me, like, he was like, you got to do your thing. Like, I'm in here doing my thing. Here's the legal work I've done. Like, I'm so glad you're taking care of yourself. And, you know, I feel like you're a, a really true friend, like, just for getting back to me and for, like, doing your thing. Um, so for me, it's been easy. Um, I know other situations uh, where it's not as easy. And I think you know, you have to be kind of supportive um, of this other person and also firm in your boundaries. Um, and so, yeah, during finals, like when I am taking a class or two, like when I'm writing finals and like working 50 hours a week <laughs> in retail around Christmas, um, I tell him that. Right. And and he's like, okay, you know. We're right. like, I think another thing is like, Mike really sees this as like, we're in this for the long haul. Um, like, I remember asking him once, like, what, what do you envision for our friendship? And he was like, oh, yeah, like, I, I imagine myself getting out of prison in, like, seven years and us organizing together on the outside. Um, you know, and so I think, like, the fact that we're able to be very communicative about, like, what's going on and what our needs and boundaries are, um, like, I think that level of communication translates to a relationship where you know, it's, it's sustainable for both of us and also healthy for both of us. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, and to clarify, you know, I, I, the reason why I ask is because I know that, you know, maybe there's people out there that, um, you know, would want to pen pal, but maybe they, they're hesitate because, uh, you know, they are concerned with, uh, whether or not they can commit enough time. And I completely agree with you. Like it's important to recognize that it is a commitment and that it matters that you are prompt and you reply and that you, you put time into it. Um, and, you know, I appreciate the, you know, sort of regular meetings that you have to, to ensure that people are, are staying in communication. Cause it is the kind of thing that you don't want to just, you know, write one letter and open this line of communication and then just like stop or, you know, stop talking altogether. 
Um, so I just wanted yeah. to hear, like, you know, I, I think what you said is great. I just wanted to hear, you know, how, uh, you know, make it clear for people how somebody, you know, what the what kind of a commitment, for lack of a better term, it is, and you know, what it's actually mm -hmm. like, so that it's not as like scary or daunting or. You know, somebody's like, oh, it's yeah. just another thing that I don't have time to take on, but I really want to, you know, get involved with this. Um, you know, I do mm -hmm. think it's something that that uh, both is is something that you can do uh, and it's not that daunting. But at the same time, you know, you do need to be all in on it and you can't just decide that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. Or like, oh, you know, this is too much or something like that. Um, yeah. And also, it's important that, you know, to note that every relationship is super different. Sure. Um, like, Michael and I write constantly about prison. We're constantly talking about prison. Um, but I have a friend who has been writing to her pen pal um, and her good friend in prison for also a couple of years, and they don't ever talk about prison. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> Like, this person does not want to talk about what she's dealing with, you know, in there. She wants to she wants to build a friendship that allows her to, like, remember that there's a world outside of there. And, like, she wants to hear about that. And she wants to talk about, like, not the kind of day-to-day, -day, like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever. because for some people, it's, it, you know, for some people, it's an escape. And right. sometimes it's, you know, it, you, you said it yourself. It's not, you know, every relationship is different. Yeah. Um, and I know with, you know, writing to my sons or writing to other people um, with my son specifically, you know, depending on what it is that we're going through, since I am their advocate and the person on the outside holding it down and doing all the other things, I know what's, mm -hmm. you know, um, what they're dealing with uh, on the legal front. Um their day-to-day -day struggles. I'm pretty aware of that because I talk to them. Uh, I talk to one of them almost every day and the other one he can call only three days um, on the weekends. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm clued in as to what's going on. And that's always the first question. How are you? What's going on? Has anything happened? So that we get that out of the way. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes my one son will call me and he's just like, look, I don't feel like telling you what's going on right now. You know, or he'll tell me something several weeks down the road. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me that when it happened? Um, and he's like, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's in his words, it's fucking prison, you know? And he's like, this yeah. shit happens like every day almost. So he feels like sometimes when he picks up the phone, he wants to know, you know, what movie have I been watching? What's on Netflix, you know? and um, what's going on in my world or what's happening out here that, you know, he can't, um, he, he wants to be a part of, but can't. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important thing to, to sort of highlight. But also I think, um, you know, that you also said that, you know, um, describe the relationship that your friend has, you know, with, with her pen pal. And I think it's important for people to know that, you know, not everybody in prison is going to want to talk about prison all of the time. If right. Um, and you kind of have to let them lead um, and and let them, you know, guide the conversation. Um, and if it's something that they want to discuss, then great, because not everybody in, that's looking for a pen pal is looking for, you know, someone to advocate for them. You oh. know, and like it's nice to have that um, and to build that relationship. But oftentimes what people want is just to know that somebody outside cares. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because that violence is quotidian. It is mm-hmm. like maybe you want a moment of your day that's not focused on violence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and you're reminding me actually a lot of the another thing that Black and Pink does, and which we as this little group did for the first time um, this year, which is send holiday cards, mm-hmm. like hand drawn and decorated and handwritten um, holiday cards, um, which is actually, it was great to do because it's such a low commitment thing. You're not building a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it is it is so meaningful to have someone who is reaching out like that, even if it's just a holiday card. Um, you know, I mean, it's ideally everyone is like has access to like nurturing and fulfilling relationships. Um, but but also even just even just sending a card, like it's it's important that we do stuff like that because it's an act of harm reduction as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, know, I go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, just like sort of thinking about, you know, what you're what you're talking about, people wanting to like write and talk about different things. Um, It's like whatever you're writing about and whatever Mm -hmm. that person is comfortable with your relationship being like, you know, if they want to write about like their this book they want to write or the movie that you saw or like what what your class was like that day um, or what you had for breakfast, the act of them getting a letter is telling them and telling the prison. Exactly. Um, someone, yep. someone cares about this person. Exactly. And I, I, I was going to bring that up. Um, you know, it's, it's a signal to, you know, officials um, and to other prisoners that you have someone on the outside. And I, I don't think that we can um, overestimate the importance of, you know, of that signaling, right? Because, um, I, I think as as I've heard from people, my sons included, that you know one of the loneliest times um, of the day is mail call, and if you don't get your name called, you know it can feel like pretty crappy. So you know, like I sit down every week and I you know put cards or letters or you know a combination of both together um, and put them in the mail so that at least once a week, they're getting something, you know, from me, I would love to be able to have the time to write every single day, but I don't. And most people don't, you know, so it's like, at least when you get something, you know, um, every week, it, it makes a big difference. And they're, you know, and sometimes it's just a simple note. Sometimes it's just, you know, I've, I've grabbed a, a memo pad and just, you know, scribbled a few lines and it's like, okay, you know, this is what's going on. I'm rushing around, blah, 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 you know, love you. Um, what's happening with you, you know, and whatever, even if, even if I talk to them on the phone and I do, you know, that the letter, the physical letter, as my son has told me that you have that letter and you can read that letter over and over again. Right. The phone call ends after 15 minutes and GTL cuts you off. You know, so it's like you can go back and you can look at the letter, you can touch the card, you can, you know, look at the artwork or the photograph that someone has sent you. Um, and and those things really matter um, to people. Brian? Absolutely. Um, 
Well, you know, we're running out of time here. You know, Kim, I don't know if you have any final questions uh, that you want to ask um, before we ask our typical final question. Is there anything that you want to get in there? Um, no, I mean, I, I think um, I'm just reacting a lot to um, to what you said, Kiara, about, you know, just having um, a support group and having uh, folks around you um, who you can, you know, talk to about this shared experience. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of, you know, the, the pen pal process. I, I never participated yeah. in a formal pen pal group. Um, I just kind of either have known people who have been in prison um, or as I've mentioned several times already, you know, I, my sons have been in prison. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, when you come from, you know, certain communities, that's just, you know, that's where your folks are um, and you, you write to them and you want to keep in touch and you, you know, set that up. And I think, um, the other thing I wanted to respond to, because you, you said you wanted me to say something and um, about this, about setting, you know, boundaries and whatnot. Um, I mean, it's, I, I think it's really tough. I think it's really, it, or it's difficult for me um, uh, in part, not only because I'm their mother, um, but also because, you know, I, outside of that role as their mother, um, being an advocate and activist, um, organizing and what have you uh, around uh, prison abolition, um, those worlds kind of collapse. And uh, there are a lot of times when I wish that, you know, the things that I was doing professionally to earn a living um, wasn't so completely different than the other things that I do in my life. Um, <laughs> oh, man, seriously. You know, because then it would just be, it's like, okay, this is the thing that I'm doing. Um, and this is what I'm about. And, you know, but, you know, when I have to kind of switch gears and I've just gotten off of a phone call with one of them, and then I have to turn around and do very sort of client relations oriented, right. you know, stuff and have my little corporate smile on. Um, that, you know, it makes it really, really tough, but that's not about setting boundaries with them, um, as much as trying to modulate my relationship with the rest of the world out totally. here. I think with them, it's just, you know, my, they're both really good about saying this. Oh, I'm sorry. I caught you at a bad time. I know you're using GPS. I'll call you back. And I'm like, look, you don't get an option as to when you can call. You know, <laughs> I'm right. like, if I could call you, that would be different. I said, but you don't have to apologize for interrupting me. You know, it's like, I will stop whatever I'm doing if I possibly can. And, you know, and I answer the phone. Um, and I think that, you know, there, prisoners, you know, people in prison are in such a position where they're craving those relationships and the attention from someone on the outside that oftentimes they might be willing to take whatever someone can give. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a problem with that kind of, you know, imbalance. Like I, I just, I feel for me 
and I'll just say for me, other folks can do whatever they want um, and, and they will. Um, but for me, I feel a deep sense of responsibility, but I also feel a lot of guilt and maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Um, if I, you know, if I miss a week, um, you know, because I'm sick or because I had to go out yeah, of town, totally. something like that. And I'm like, shit, I should have put that letter in the mail and I didn't. Um, and it's hard. And there's times when, you know, I get letters um, from my sons or from other folks. And I, you know, this is about boundary setting with myself. I don't read that letter right before I go to bed. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll wait till the morning when I'm properly caffeinated. And I feel like I, you know, have the the emotional capacity, the emotional wherewithal to deal with what might be contained in that letter. And I think that's also an aspect of it. But anyway, um, no, I think that was, no, no, I think that's, I think that's really important. And I think that's a really great distinction to make. Um, and I was way too sloppy with how I, how I framed that, but that's exactly, you know, sort of what, uh, you know, I think a lot, a lot too, in terms of, setting boundaries for yourself and the world and and not with the the incarcerated person i mean i also have this situation um you know i get phone calls and speak regularly to some people on the inside right now i'm i'm helping um someone who's writing their own memoir and you know when i get that one call uh once a week and you know i may be on the phone or something and i can't get off i'm like you know kicking myself and then feeling awful about it uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm just really glad that you said that. I think that that's a, exactly what I was going for and something that I think about a lot. And I think it's important to have it out there. Um, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think our last question here before we wrap up, um, the question that we ask people, uh, on the show is what does abolition mean to you? If you could talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, So I asked Michael this question. I wrote to him and asked him because I was anticipating this. So I wrote, I wrote to Michael um, asking him for his, his definition of of prison abolition um, because I have, I have my own ideas and they're, they're always kind of shifting. And I think they shift a lot in relation to this connection I'm building with Michael. Um, So if it's okay, I think I'm, I think I'm going to give his answer. Yeah, please. Um, Go ahead. And 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 amplify his answer. Um, so Michael writes, "What does prison abolition mean to me?" There's a quote by Mr. George Jackson that came to mind when posed with this question. Within the quote, Mr. Jackson states, "The point is, in the face of what we confront, to fight and win. That's the real objective. Not just to make statements, no matter how noble, but to destroy the system that oppresses us." And then he writes, therefore, prison abolition to me means the struggling for the liberation of all oppressed people, ending the needless violence against humans by prison officials within the world's prison environments. Prison abolition means that we have completely revolutionized and eradicated the ills of prisons within our societies. Thank you so much for reading that. Yeah, thank you. Mm Um, well, we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your experience with uh, pen paling and sharing Michael's story and, um, you know, the work that you're doing. Um, and I hope you will come back soon and speak with us. And thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kira.
Yeah, thank you guys both so much. You always have such incredible guests on this podcast, and I am so honored that you made the time to, to talk with me today. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm.